coming up on Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat. And so coming back to MVP, most valued priority. What's my MVP? And I always say to myself every day before I get out of bed, what's my personal MVP today? What's my professional MVP? And if I do those two things, I think the day's a massive win. Everything else is just noise. It's really interesting. I think about words a lot and what they mean and why they are what they are. And I'll tell you, I, I feel fear. I experience that fear. I am afraid of things. But to me, courage is feeling the fear and choosing to act anyway. Like I'm, oh, I'm shitting myself. Okay, let's do it anyway. Let's go. Well, folks, I'm James Lachlan. I'm a fanatic about high-performance leadership. And I would love you to come and say hello either on LinkedIn or on Instagram at James Lachlan Official, or you can head to jjlachlan.com. And this is my episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat. Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts, David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance. What we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high-performing individuals tick, why they do what they do, and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons, and learnings. Today we spoke with James Lachlan, high-performance leadership expert and former seven-time world champion. Music took James on an extraordinary journey around the world, winning and traveling along the way. He ended up in Christchurch, New Zealand, where he has settled and created his high-performance leadership program. Lead yourself, lead others, lead always. With guests such as Kieran Reid and Steve Hansen, former captain and head coach of the All Blacks. James works with elite players as a mental skills coach with Canterbury Rugby and with executives in relation to purpose, habits and overall leadership development. We unpacked overcoming major tough moments such as the Christchurch earthquake, a miscarriage and splitting up with a partner. We learned about what young Finn, James's son, teaches him every day and why boundaries are essential for parenting. There was a fascinating dialogue around identifying and contacting mentors, why music was James calling at a young age and when James found his purpose. Legacy of Dad, what a line from you, James. James Lachlan, thanks a million for taking a late call over in New Zealand. How are you, sir? May I'm great. Even better for seeing you guys. <laughs> now, the accent isn't from Christchurch. Whereabouts does it hail from? <laughs> so funny you say that. So Christchurch people think I sound very Irish. And my Northern Irish family think I sound very Kiwi. <laughs> so I'm from Ballyclare, County Antrim originally. Talk to us a little bit. Why are you over there? Why are you in the Southern Hemisphere? What is it about that country of two islands that drew you? Oh, I love it down here. It's, it's a beautiful place. So I've been here yeah, 16 years. And initially, as a young kid in Northern Ireland, um, I found myself in the headmaster's office quite a bit. And my headmaster was a stern guy, very strict, Mr. Pollock. And this one time I ended up, he says, look, you've got two options. I've had enough. You can go to detention for a week or you can have a set of drumsticks. 
I says, are you punking me? Like, what's going on? Like, <laughs> this doesn't feel right. He's no, you take the drumsticks and for the rest of the term, you're going to have an after school lesson on a Tuesday and you have to show up. No detention. I was like, okay, cool. So I learned to love this drumming. I thought I was the next Ringo star. It was going to be awesome. All the girls would love it. What I didn't realize was that I'd have to wear a kilt. It was pipe band drumming, Scottish oh, right. style pipe band drumming. <laughs> so my mom was delighted um, because it wasn't um, what they would call flute band drumming in Northern Ireland. And she thought, okay, there's some kind of form of musicianship to this. She was very, very happy. Uh, Dad was excited that I had a positive focus to focus in on. And I realized it was a competitive thing. So I was a competitive uh, Taekwondo martial artist at that age and really enjoyed the aspect of results and performing and attaining. So with this drumming thing, there was an Ulster Championship, an Irish Championship, and a World Championship. And so I just started working towards these championships. Headmaster was now best mates. And very fortunate, like three or four years in, uh, at the age of 13, I won the World Solo Drumming Championships over in Scotland. And went on to retain that again the following year. And at that point, the phone started ringing. And that was the exciting part for me because... As a youngster, I didn't really want to live in Northern Ireland. I didn't really enjoy it. Uh, there were sides of the conflict. You know, mom, mom's Catholic, dad's Protestant. And uh, there were sides of that conflict that I just didn't enjoy seeing. Uh, we were brought up to respect people and not worry about color, background, ethnicity. Who cares about that stuff? It's people. And so I wanted out. And as from a young age, I knew that would happen. Didn't realize it would be wearing a kilt. And so the phone rang from Vancouver, Canada. And it was the Simon Fraser University pipe band. And they said, look, we'd love you to come and join our program. We'll fly you over to Vancouver. We've got a couch for you. You know, we'll get you enough beer tokens to survive the summer. I was delighted. I was like 18 years old. Let's go. So I went over there, was fortunate enough to win another three or four world titles with them. And uh, the phone rang from New Zealand. And I said to my dad, New Zealand, where's that? And he went, Oh, I think uh, Jonah Lumu, Jonah Lumu, you know, the, the, the silver ferns. I was like, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. The all blacks. So I thought this is exciting. Yeah. Count me in. I'll come down. I'll do the drumming thing. And it was a private school here and the private school uh, were St. Andrews, Scottish uh, connection. And they wanted to be the very first Kiwis to have a world champion pipe band and a world champion drum line. And they seen this kind of young guy from Northern Ireland, not too much older than some of their students who could maybe help bridge the gap. So I negotiated some a very simple contract. I says, get me down there. I want an upgrade on the couch that I was sleeping uh-huh. on in Vancouver. I'd like a few more beer tokens. And the all important, I want permanent residence because that would guarantee me that I could have a place to live and it would kind of tick the box. I could, I could live abroad. And so came down here and I fulfilled on my promise. Uh, they became world champions, the very first Kiwis to ever do so. And uh, they fulfilled on theirs. And I'm a very proud Kiwi citizen. I'm a dual citizen. Um, so very, very happy about that. And that's the, uh, the long the long story, I guess, to, to getting me to New Zealand. Wow. Wow. There's plenty in here. Now, something that seems to have married with St. Andrews and yourself is probably the ambition piece. So you haven't just gone over to New Zealand and stuck a drumming. You've sort of created a life for your own. Tell us about the transition when you decided to leave drum and maybe the drumsticks aside for it and what you've done since then? Yeah, great. Honestly, great question. I guess many of us reach a point in our lives where we start thinking, what else? And what am I doing? Like, am I actually here to do this thing? Am I meeting all of my needs? Am I even 
reaching nearly anywhere near my potential. So I started to ask those questions probably about seven or eight years in to working at the, the school. And a few kind of life ambushes arrived and we all have them in the form of, you know, whether it's a pandemic, whether it's a family death. For me, it was the Christchurch earthquakes in 2011. And, uh, you know, I remember waking up at 4 a.m. to the very first earthquake and I'd never experienced one before. The house was shaking. It was pitch black. I thought, wow, this is interesting. But then it kept going for like six months. So we had thousands and thousands of aftershocks. Some of them were huge. Some of them were like seven and eight on the Richter scale. Uh, Destroyed the city. And so I developed uh, some level of PTSD. I was highly anxious, really enjoyed New Zealand, Marlborough Sauvignon Blanc, uh, way too much. You know, there was a bottle a day going away uh, post-earthquake and just to cope. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't good. And so at that point, I was thinking, okay, this is not like something's not right. i got to sort this out. So I went and dealt with that side of the, the stress and anxiety. Uh, but then two or three years later, another ambush arrived in the form of miscarriage. And I thought I was a pretty strong guy. Like, um, you know, a guy who performs under pressure, guy who ran a business, who created a retail uh, outlet in New Zealand and helped all these kids become world champions. I thought I can traverse this, but I was a wreck. I was an absolute wreck. That was life altering. You know, just to, I wanted to be a dad. That's all I really wanted. I have a great dad. I have an amazing granddad. I thought well, I'm going to be a dad. I just took it for granted that that would happen. So that came along. That really shook me, and again made me ask, "What am I doing? Is drumming it? And was I fulfilled to some degree? I was. Was I doing well? Yep." The, the kids, by the time I left, they'd won like 14 national titles consecutively year after year. They were world champions. That was all tick, 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 but something was missing. You know that feeling when something's just not right? So the, the miscarriage was the catalyst for me to start looking at growth, mindset, reading every book I could get. Now, when I was a youngster, I lifted this thing, this book called Tony Robbins. I was like, who's this Tony Robbins guy? He's larger than life, like this, this idea of performing under pressure. So I studied it when I was 12 and 13 to help me with my drumming. Never did I realize in my mid to late 20s, I'd be going back to this to get through like some hellish times as an adult. So I ended up in Sydney with, uh, with Lisa, who's my former partner. And we're at this four-day event. It's 18-hour days. It's screaming, shouting, walking on fire, like the craziest of the crazy. If any of my like grandparents were to look at me, they'd be like, you're nuts. What are you doing? Yeah. Don't touch the Kool-Aid. Stay away. <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, it was great. It really gave me perspective. It allowed me to see that, you know what? Our psychology drives everything. And the, so the connection between psychology and physiology was just so powerful. Coming away from that, I was like, okay, I've got a set of skills through performing at a world championship level, through helping others perform, and I've run a retail business, I truly feel I could help leaders lead at high performance and take all the, the skills that I've developed throughout my lifetime. And so I started to pivot right after that event and started to look, okay, what, where's the gap for me? What don't I know? Who do I need to be connected with? Who do I need to ask questions from? And uh, so, yeah, uh, I started the Lead on Purpose podcast, started interviewing prime ministers, presidents, you know, Formula One, Team Mercedes, um, Fortune 100 CEOs, all different leaders, sports, business, and philanthropy to try and bridge that learning gap. And so now I've been, I've been coaching CEOs. I've been working with top performing teams, um, all on the psychology of performing under pressure and trying to reach our potential.
for people going through adversity, tough times, and we all are, but let's, let's go through this, right? First of all, you came from Northern Ireland. That's not always easy for, you know, from a cultural perspective. Um, so there could be a bit of adversity there, early age. Then you're traveling a lot. There's challenges with that. Then you've got 2011, really seismic, um, no pun intended. And then you've obviously got the, the, the relationship thing, the family thing, which you've mentioned to us. For people that are going through challenges and tough times, no matter the scale or the magnitude at the time or the intensity, where do you start? How do you start with those people to get them to understand maybe perspective or, or mindset shift? Yeah, it's really interesting. Like, there's a couple of things that come to mind. So one is awareness. Like when we heighten our awareness, we tend to make better choices because we're more aware. When we make better choices, we get better results, right? So when we're in a cyclical pattern of thinking, whether it's negativity, whether it's stress, we tend to be in this, this, this pattern. We go round and round. So we're in the, in, in the rut. You've got to break the pattern. So some people need a really abrupt break of the pattern. They need someone to be cutting or blunt. Other people, they need love. They need a reminder that, hey, you you are worth it, like you are enough. But all in all, we need to detach from the, the anxiety. You need to detach from the challenge. So I think of a dapper, D-A-P-P-E-R, the word dapper. So first, we've got to detach. We've got to detach from all the craziness. How do we do that? Well, we've got to, first of all, remove ourselves from whatever's happening. And you can do that through just closing your eyes. If you put on a set of virtual reality you know, goggles and you start to feel dizzy and you want to just get away from that, you don't need to take them off. Just close your eyes and all of a sudden you, you recenter. So if you're in a plane and it's turbulent and you're stressing out and you're anxious, first thing to do is close your eyes and focus on your breath. So the D in dapper is detach. So detach from the, the moment, detach from the, the challenge. Do that through, I do it personally through meditation. I do that through journaling and I do that through having someone help me see my blind spots. So whether that's a mentor or whether that's a coach, whether that's a leader, someone in your family, but someone who loves you and trusts you and actually wants the best for you are the better, the best kind of people to see your blind spots. So that's D detach. A then is, you know, awareness. So now that you've detached, you can heighten your awareness. So how can I look at my situation differently? And what's the assessment? Make an assessment. You could do this on a rugby field. You know, so this, this dapper approach was taught to me by my mentor who helped create the, the red and the blue um, mindset that the All Blacks use. So he came up with, with that um, approach. And this dapper approach is what he would use in his life and also on, on the field. So A is assess. So assess in the moment what's truly going on here. So, for example, we talked about the earthquakes. Um, I simply got a page out. And went, Canada or New Zealand? What are we going to do? So my former partner, Lisa, she was from Canada. We flew back to Canada for six weeks. Got a page out, pros, cons, Canada, New Zealand. Simply, we detached by flying away from the earthquakes and the aftershocks. We assessed by getting it on a page. And I always say, when you're stuck in your head, you're dead. Get out of your head and get onto the page. Or at least get out of your head and get into your heart. So D-A-P prioritize. So many of us have multiple priorities, but actually when you're trying to get out of a rut, you need to figure out what your number one priority is. And I always say you've got a number one personal and a number one professional 
priority and they're generally moving alongside each other. But once you've got two, three or more, you've just got a to-do list and that's not a priority at all. So prioritize, okay, I've detached, I've assessed, I've now got my priority, right? Then the next P is plan. Okay, what's my plan? This plan does not need to be a business plan that you're submitting to the bank. This is like, it could be on a bloody handkerchief. Here's the four things I need to do today. Here's the even better. Here's the one thing I need to do today. What's your plan to make step number one? And I've found for me and for clients that when you start to think of step 26 and step 33, you tend to not take step number one. So making sure you've got a plan. Then E is execute. Actually take the plan and get going. And for me personally, once I've got the plan, I've got to take one micro step that moment, whether it's a text to someone, a scheduling something, agreeing to do something, throwing some public accountability out there. But once you've got the plan, execute on something and then schedule the rest of your steps that you need to take. And then the all important one is R and that's review. Do a quick review. Did that work? Am I moving forward? Am I feeling less anxious? Am I feeling less stuck? No, I'm still stuck. Okay, cool. Go back to D. Detach, reassess, prioritize, plan, execute, re-review, and keep doing that. Because if you keep doing that, you're going to keep changing your approach and your perspective. And naturally, you're going to move forward. Love that. And I'll just hone in on one piece you mentioned, and I think it was Dr. Kerry Evans, you were speaking about mentorship and looking into who am I going to ask questions of? Surround yourself with people that you can learn from, that you can grow with. How do you identify who they are during that period when you were in that transition, that pivot moment? Then how did you go about getting, executing to get them as your mentor? Yeah, great question. And the guy that shared this with me is Dr. Kerry Evans's mentor. Oh, wow. So Yeah, so it's a guy called Renzi Hannum. He's 76 years old. He's a 10th Dan black belt. He's an incredible musician that's put out so many albums. He's just the most incredible guy. He works with high-performance athletes. He's He's brilliant. He still beats me up the hill on a Sunday morning. <laughs> that is a fiddle. So uh, yeah, he's amazing. So yeah, him and him and Kerry work together on that uh, that that mindset. So in terms of identifying who do I need, so I guess for the listener that's listening right now, if you're trying to identify who do you need to help you get from A to B, so look around you and see who's already at B, who's already achieved what I'm trying to achieve, who's got the answers that I need to unlock, and don't limit yourself with who's in my town, who's going to be at the next event in the next major city closest to me, just who's the best in the world at the thing I want to do. And whoever that is, go, okay, it's it's John, it's Carly, it's Bob. Okay, great. How do I get proximity to them? Okay, well, they're, you know, there's like 50 gatekeepers between me and them. Okay, well, I can buy their books. I can watch them on YouTube. I can listen to them on your amazing podcast that you guys are running right now. Um, Get proximity, you know, so figure out how to get to know them, understand them. And then once you've understood them and you truly understand what they're doing, then try and reach out to them by saying, hey, I listened to what you said on this podcast. I executed on these things you told me to execute on. I got these results. And I just want to say a huge thank you. But also, would you, would you have like three minutes where I could ask you a follow-up question on this specific thing that I'm stuck with based on what you, you told me to do? Nine times out of 10, they'll say yes. Talk to us about the high performance leadership program. We're looking at who you've had in the past. You've had a, a number eight, a big number eight, and now you've got arguably the best coach of all time in, in rugby. 
what is what's the philosophy? What are you trying to do with that? What are you building? We're we're here talking about proximity and getting close to people, and then you've got Kieran Reed, Steve Hansen, people like that coming up to to your gig. What's it all about? Yeah, so for me, HPL, so high performance leadership. The whole idea about that it's leadership from the inside out, and too many people go along the leadership events to be told how to talk, to be told how to actively listen. I'm not going to tell people to do that. Our grannies, granddads, parents, uncles, and aunties, they taught us brilliantly how to do that. And some of us are better at it than others. We don't need to spend a thousand bucks to be told how to listen. So for me, it's about what goes on inside, what goes on in the psychology, what goes on in your belief systems. So HPL is about creating a, a philosophy for yourself so that you can lead yourself. And only once you learn to lead yourself, can you lead others. So too many of us are wanting to lead teams and be CEOs and be captains. But actually, how about we just learn to get our own house in order? And so the, all the pillars of HPL build on each other. And it's very story-based. And that's why I, I tend to try and bring in some others who have really achieved a high level. So it's over two and a half days, this event. And we go through all of the pillars of high performance. So vision, how to craft a really compelling vision, belief, understanding how our belief systems or our BS is formed and how we can actually change our belief systems, looking at motivation and desire and the difference between those and how they really either help us inspire others and ourselves or not. And then looking at self-discipline, self-evaluation, and of course, growth. And so throughout this event, I'll bring in different speakers. So our upcoming event, so we did have Kieran Reed, obviously a great former All Blacks captain. Uh, next event, we've got Steve Hansen, Sir Steve Hansen, uh, former All Blacks coach. Also got our former Prime Minister of New Zealand, John Key, Sir John Key, I should say, uh, coming in. And Ali Adams, who's a, the CEO of Christchurch New Zealand. It's a company that is inc does incredible things here locally. So what I do is I bring them on stage and... We don't have a list of questions that we've talked about beforehand. We do exactly what you guys are doing right now. We'll just have a conversation. We talk about life. I pull out all of the key lessons, and then we have a great Q&A. And I just, part of it is I make the event small. I don't want 500 to 1,000 people. It's 70, 80 people. And again, proximity is what it's all about. So it's making sure that these leaders, as they're learning this framework, they can go up to all the guests, uh, the guest speakers, and actually create connection and create a relationship. When you're at these events, when you're having these people, the energy in the room, how do you make sure that there's takeaways and people are going to act on what they've learned that day? What are the keys to change in behavior after they've heard these great insights? Yes. Honestly, I think integration is like the missing piece. Like we go along to these awesome events, like Tony Robbins, prime example. You go along and you have a life changing experience. The next three weeks of your life are different. And then for many people, it's like, okay, we revert back to normal. That's normal behavior, right? Because installing a habit, you know, University College of London would say it takes on average 66 days to install a habit, right? Most of us have been told it's 21 days or 28 days. 66 days is a hell of a long time. So for me, I try to say, okay, when you come to HPL, everyone that comes there gets a free copy of my personal leadership planner. And so it's a planner that they can put on their iPad and it helps them install habits using neuroscience, helps them with all the pillars of what they've learned at the event and they can reintegrate. And then I'm a big believer in, hey, if you can get together once a month, let's do it. So I hold a virtual high-performance training once a month uh, to kind of go through and review everything they learned at the, the live event. How much of that model of HBL do you use with Finn? 
<laughs> yeah, Finn's my little six-year-old rascal. He's awesome. Uh, named after Finn McCool. Oh, so, well. yeah, so he hasn't seen the Giants Causeway yet, but we're going home to home to Northern Ireland at the end of the year. He's very excited about that. So, honestly, I would say Finn is my greatest joy. He's my greatest leadership challenge as well. Finn knows how to push my buttons. Finn knows how to, you know, uh, challenge me. And he also knows how to teach me. I've learned more in the last six years than I have in the previous 30. And I've made quicker decisions because of Finn. You know, I retired from international competing within months of him being born because he's my priority and he he needs me. And I, I want my legacy to be a legacy of dad, not a legacy of all oh, that guy that just kept doing things for himself. So I, I prioritize Finn and I work my work around Finn. It's interesting. We talk a lot about beliefs, him and I. Uh, we have story time. He likes to hear stories from my youth in Ireland each night before bed. And I try to tie in little pillar points, like little lessons that, that are applicable to his age. But I guess a big challenge is when people are forming beliefs, it's easy to form negative ones. So we have a very, very simple, but at night when he's cleaning his teeth, after he's cleaned his teeth, we'll look in the mirror and I'll say, Finn, I am kind. And he looks in his own eyes and says, I'm kind. And then I'll say, I am loved. And he'll look in the mirror and say, I'm loved. And I am smart and I am strong. And so we just are wiring his brain at this stage. Like, again, it's through neuroscience. It's through repetition. It's through belief system building. And it's just keeping it simple because when his life ambushes come and they'll be small to start with, bullying at school and maybe failure, he's going to be able to use these little affirmations to go, you know what? I am strong. I, I can get through this. I didn't get picked for the team. Let's just keep moving. I'm strong. I'm smart. I'm loved. Legacy of dad. Yeah, You're talking already about prioritization, one personal, one business. Here you are building a lot, lots of resources. We loved your website. You've got HPL trying to convince you to do it over in our neck of the woods. Uh, that's for the follow-up call listeners. Um, how do you strike the balance? Like it is so hard, but what, what do you do? What does the day look like when you're trying to be the best for both? Yeah, I think balance is an interesting thing. I, I don't really believe in it. I believe in counterbalance. So you can pick whatever route you're going to pick and you've got to pick a horse and you've got to ride it. Too many of us are going, should I do this? Oh, yeah, I'll do that. And then I'll run this thing. And then I'll do this thing. Well, that's an opportunity. And you're just going like this. And there is no sense of balance. Pick your horse and ride it. So whatever you're going to get great at, whether it's podcasting, leadership, sport, dadding, whatever it might be, pick your thing. And you can pick more than one thing, but just don't pick 20. So for me, I just set really strict boundaries around my time. So for example, a one-to-one -one client, why I do executive coaching and mindset coaching, they can't get a session after 2 p.m. From 2 p.m. onwards, it's just not possible because I want to be at school, pick up Finn, and then we have fun for the rest of the afternoon. Once he goes to bed at 6.30, 7 o'clock, then I can do a few more things and get prepped for the next day. But setting boundaries is so important and just being aware that counterbalancing is a thing. So for example, the big event, the HPL event for me, it's, it's, there's, a, there's a lot goes on in the preparation, as you can imagine. So the month leading into that, I'm way out of balance. Like I'm taking like debits all the time from the, the dad bank, but I've built enough credits up before then to know that's going to be okay. And I've communicated with Finn. And after the event, I just schedule a bunch of time where I can make up. So to me, yeah, balance life, work-life balance is a myth. 
And it's about deciding where do I want to place my time? What matters the most to me? And am I congruent with that? And so coming back to MVP, most valued priority. What's my MVP? And I always say to myself every day before I get out of bed, what's my personal MVP today? What's my professional MVP? And if I do those two things, hey, the day's a massive win. Everything else is just noise. Something that I think is ringing true from the, the story, we're taking notes flat out here, is courage. So courage to take on a move to Vancouver, courage to move to New Zealand after, to start a family, to be a dad, courage to start a business and go after high-performance leaders. What is it that you do to back yourself when things might seem scary or it might seem like you're stepping outside your comfort zone? What are the keys that James does in order to keep going and actually take them first few steps in order to to grow and achieve? It's really interesting. I, I think about words a lot what they mean and why they are what they are. And I'll tell you, I, I feel fear. I experience that fear. I am afraid of things. Uh, but to me, courage is feeling the fear and choosing to act anyway. Like I'm, oh, I'm shitting myself. Okay, let's do it anyway. Let's go. You know, it's like, what is there to lose? Weigh it up. Is the risk too great? So Probably a personal one I'll share with you it was a great fear. And I don't think I've ever shared this really um, in an interview before. Uh, so Lisa and I met in Vancouver and we traveled the world together. We started a business together. Uh, we moved to New Zealand. We had Finn. And then we started growing apart. And I sensed that and it didn't improve. And we became friends and flatmates almost, you could say. And my biggest fear was like, how do I start this conversation? Okay, I don't start it. Just go to the gym more, just keep get busier, create more noise, read more books, just have another gin and tonic, just busy yourself. And so there was this distraction. But when I got clear in my head, I was like, no, it's going to get worse if I just let it faster. So it took so much courage that to me, if somebody says, what's one of your most courageous like, moments, it was to actually have that conversation with Lisa, like, hey, things, things are not, right, we need to chat. And stepping into that first conversation, then let other things unfold. And doing it then was, was right. So when you feel f- afraid, act soon. Don't, let it, don't delay. Don't let procrastination kick in. Because if I had to let that fester, I know that Lisa and I wouldn't have a friendship now. Um, Finn would suffer. My parents haven't spoken over 20 years. And I don't want that for my son. And so Lisa and I have an incredible friendship and uh, my partner, Caroline and I, we had Lisa around for midwinter Christmas because obviously the seasons are a bit different. So it's, you know, middle of June and you're having Christmas, midwinter Christmas here in New Zealand. So with Lisa and her friends around and Finn there, and we try to demonstrate that you can have happily even after, not always happily ever after. So to me, courage is you having the sense of fear, choosing to act anyway. And it doesn't always need to play out in the boardroom. And it doesn't always need to play out on the, the field. It can play out in your relationships, right? Brilliant. Thanks for sharing that. No What's your work with Canterbury, the rugby team, like? What are you enjoying about that? That must be a whole lot of fun, kind of exploring that world and bringing, bringing your amazing experience and exposure across so many different worlds to that. Yeah, to say I enjoy it would be like such a major understatement. Like, I love it. I love it. So when I get to go in and work with the teams of the Canterbury men's rugby, it's just a blast. They are 
so open to learning, like growth mindset, like underline that a million times. Like they would, they ask questions, they're keen, like, how do we get better? What do we not see? What do we need to work on mentally? So I work on all the different mental skills approach that can help them when they're under pressure. And the difference between them and someone who's running a business is that they have to do it in seconds, in microseconds and respond and like deliver. And next game, the next week, like, let's do, let's show it. Sometimes it's within five seconds they've got to do it. But in a business, sometimes you can have a two, three month time to process and develop the skills and think it through. But in rugby, it's like here and now. And so I just, I love it. I truly love it. And, you know, it says I've only been there maybe, you know, a couple months and it's, yeah, it's fantastic. Who knows where I'll it'll lead and end up. But right now I just absolutely love it. It's, it's a privilege. What have the players taught you that you maybe weren't expecting or that you're very thankful that you've experienced? Yeah, well, my, they, they teach me so much. I guess a, a big one is just they have this sense of whānau. So whānau in New Zealand, Māori, is family. And it's truly a brotherhood. So the first week I went in there, it was like fist pumps. It was like, hey, who are you? Tell me. I sat down beside this guy. I was like, hey, I'm James. He went, hey, I'm Owen. I was like, tell me what you do, Owen. He's like, oh, I've been playing rugby for quite some time. And I said, like, oh, cool. How long have you been playing? He said, oh, like many, many years. And I said, oh, what's your last name? He says, Franks. I said, oh, you're Owen Franks. Nice to meet you, man. But the sense of like humility, like there's no, no, like um, no ego. The ego is left at the door. Like they're not allowed to have ego. They, they just beat it out of each other. It's like, now nah, we're here, level playing field. So a sense of fan now, a sense of family. They talk about their families, their kids. Uh, one of the guys in the group, an amazing Fijian guy, Manasa, he holds um, like an, an amazing, uh, like a prayer uh, group each week for a lot of the guys. So they come together, just the men, and they share what they're thinking and feeling. And it's pretty, there's a, there's a powerful energy in that room. And so I've learned that, yeah, stay connected to your family and you can make, people you work with your family if we're coming over to Christchurch it's been a long time since I was there now three times but uh, wow. a while ago what would you be what would you be doing with the two of us you've never been to New Zealand no I haven't no so say Kiran's getting over to New Zealand for the first time what would you be doing with him where would you bring him what would you be showing him Look, you guys, you could be bringing your walking boots. We'd be getting out around the, the Port Hills. We'd be walking around Banks Peninsula, taking in the beautiful scenery. Uh, but I think a big part of New Zealand is understanding its culture. And as an Irishman, I felt so at home when I arrived here. And so the New Zealand Maori and the Pacific Islanders, I feel like the synergy. And yes, we've got a different skin color. Yes, we speak a different language. But man, oh man, do we have so much in common. There's just this connection. It's it's amazing. So I'd want to introduce you to a lot of my friends who are Maori and Pacific Island. Uh, of course, you'd be coming along to a Canterbury game. <laughs> Go Canterbury. That's for sure. You've got to come meet the team. Um, so yeah, in New Zealand, there's so much to do. If you're, I mean, outdoors is it's just an outdoors life. It's incredible and adventure sports and yeah, that's it's a beautiful place. Happily do that anyway. We'll have the red jerseys, red and black jerseys on. And um, if we're looking at your MVP at the moment, what's exciting you? What's next for James Lockton? What's on the horizon? Yeah, so in terms of my most valued priority, really it is the event and uh, taking that event to the next level. So for me, obviously I'm doing it here in New Zealand and it's been growing quite organically. Uh, but next is to look at, okay, how do I take HPL and take it to Sydney and Vancouver and Ireland? and London. So it's looking at how do we take the HPL format and then unleash that worldwide. Got people here to help and support it. 
last question of our show for you, James. We uh, Everyone that comes on this show, and you're a man that's been in around it so much. And just again, to echo the sentiment Kieran said, thanks for sharing um, sharing today and uh, being vulnerable. That really makes a difference. What does high performance mean to you, James? I love it. What a great question. So to me, my definition of high performance is performing above the standard norms over the long term whilst maintaining positive relations and well-being. And I think that's the the difference. Um, Now, I think, you know, 20, 30 years ago, high performance was performing above the standard norms over the long term, full stop. And where high performance um, ended, sorry, I should say where health ended, high performance began, right? So there's this like, you just sacrifice yourself to get high performance results. Take a look at some of our top performers who are killing themselves, whether that's on the sports field or actors, or it's just high performance should never come at the cost of your well-being. So to me, it's about making sure you're performing up here whilst maintaining these important things. And that's, yeah, for me, I'm always trying to measure like, where am I showing up with in the relationships? Where am I showing up for my own health? Where am I not? And just being honest and having people around me that can say, hey, James, I'm going to call BS. Like you're, you're not doing that thing. You're neglecting that thing. So to me, that's what high performance is. Keeping an eye on these important factors, the really important factors of your life, whilst you're on that trajectory towards excellence. Thanks very much for sharing your story. We enjoyed it. Best of luck with everything you've got going on in New Zealand with HPL, Finn, Finn McCool. <laughs> not, yeah, it'd be great to see you over in our neck of the woods. Hope to see you soon. Thanks, James. Hey, thanks for having me on. Absolute pleasure. You guys, please keep doing the amazing and important work that you're doing. Thanks, Mel. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, a story of high performance. This was brought to you by Howora, a whole person wellbeing company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com, spelt H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Please rate, review and share the podcast. Some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan.